0: Take me back when I was a kid, never had to worry about what I did, but I'm a man now, what's the plan now, gotta get it done, no time for fun now. Take me back when I was a kid, never had to worry about what I did, but I'm a man now, what's the plan now, gotta move on those days. Who the F is Mike Young would like to thank our incredible sponsor Blue Team. Ain't nothing funny about a commercial disaster or renovation project. Blue Team handles all aspects of construction, roofing, and disaster recovery for commercial property owners and operators throughout the U.S. No company comes even close to Blue Team. Blue Team handles the projects from start to finish so our clients can focus on running their business, and that is no joke. Call the experts at Blue Team at 855 522 two five eight three blue team anywhere anytime who the f is mike young great question great question as i try to figure myself out who i am who are any of us where have we been but i realize some of the stories that i tell they sound like lies they just sound like they can't be true but they're all true and somebody reminded me the other day they said mike did you ever live in Chicago? I thought you said you lived in Chicago. And I forgot that I actually lived in Chicago for a full year teaching boxing at the East Bank Health Club, which was the high-end, probably the nicest health club I've ever seen in my life. And I was teaching boxing because I moved to Chicago with my ex-girlfriend, We were fresh out of college. She's like, we're breaking up unless you come to Chicago. I'm not going to not be around my family. And I'm like, well, it's close enough to Detroit. I'll give it a shot. I went to Chicago, and in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a writer. I want to be a comedian. I want to be in entertainment. Maybe I'll go make commercials, and I'll just direct commercials. Of course, I had no clue that you had to go to work for an ad agency and work for years before they would ever let you even consider they would ever even consider you as a copywriter or anything. So I scraped together a little bit of money, and I put together a little, a little lookbook of my ideas for commercials, and I hired an artist, a graphic artist, to draw up the, 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 the storyboards for my commercial potential, and I went door to door, knocking on every single door of every single ad agency in Chicago, and I just walked in and left everybody a lookbook, and I left them saying, I wanna make commercials, I wanna be a writer, I wanna be a director, this is my lookbook, these are my ideas. Every single one of them looked at me like I was out of my mind. Not a single one of them hired me, I had no job in Chicago, but I could teach Boxing, because as a kid in Detroit, in Southfield, Michigan, my dad used to run this men's club called the Southfield Athletic Club, where the Detroit Mafia's headquarters were, and politicians and judges and doctors and lawyers and gangsters and leaders of the underworld, they used to be members of this club, and they were there all the time, and me and my brother were 10 and 12 or 8 and 10, Little kid, we were 10 years old, little kids running around, and Emmanuel Stewart, boxing legend, one of the greatest trainers of all time. Rest in peace, Emmanuel Stewart. Emmanuel used to come to the club, and the doctor for the fighters, his name was Dr. Freddie Lorenz, and he was my dad's best friend. And we were best friends with their family, and their kids grew up with us. And so, Emmanuel would have these fighters from Kronk back in the day teach kids how to box. And me and my brother would take, like, boxing lessons on a racquetball court. And we would just learn footwork and handwork and, you know, how to throw punches and this and that. It kind of started out real early and real young. And I gravitated towards boxing because I was a natural athlete. I had good hands. And I had two uncles, my Uncle Jerry and my Uncle Morty, that were boxers, professional fighters. My Uncle Jerry had over 50 pro fights. He fought in the old-time camps with Marciano, Willie Pep, those days, like legends, he was a real, real fighter. Uh, he fought out of New York, New Jersey, Philly, Detroit, uh, fought on some pretty big cards. He was he was real deal. So boxing was already in my family. Fighting was already in my family. I grew up in a tough guy family in the way that, you know, my grandfather and my uncles would kind of school us. Like, if you know, if anything ever goes down, you always swing hard, you hit first, attack. You know, we had a kind of of a you know you hear a lot about Jewish families growing up and the dad was a doctor and the you know the mother's a lawyer the the father's a you know a surgeon and we didn't have that type of Jewish family there's another pack of wolves Jews that you don't know about that a lot of people don't know about but you know some people do know about but there's there's rough there's rough Jews and we were come from a lineage of, I'd say, rougher Jews. My grandfather owned a bar called the Purple Pussycat in downtown Detroit. And understand that you don't own the Purple Pussycat in downtown Detroit unless you're connected, unless you've got a reputation, unless you know how to live in the, you know, work the streets, basically. So I'm I'm just telling you that just so you know that I'm not from, you know, a wealthy Jewish Upbringing of investment banking. This is no new, new York Wall Street bullshit. This is Southfield, Michigan. My dad was a scrap metal business. My dad was a scrap peddler. He had a he had a, uh, a uh, dump truck, and that's how he made a living. Going down eight mile, picking up brass, picking up steel, going down the road, getting cash for it, and going back and repeat, repeat. So. Eventually, my dad did well in life and business, but he died very young and it was tragic and terrible. So, I say this because I named the podcast Who the F is Mike Young because I'll tell stories sometimes and they sound like lies. And so, when I was living in Chicago, I taught Donnie Osmond how to box, and that just sounds ridiculous. Mike, you don't know Donnie Osmond. How would you even meet Donnie Osmond? What a corny name to even throw out there. There's so many other names you could lie about. Why are you talking about Donny Osmond? Well, because it's true. I moved to Chicago with my girlfriend at the time, Liz. Her family was there, great family, amazing people. Loved them a lot. I didn't have any skills coming out of college. I went to University of Arizona. I, I majored in media arts, you know, I didn't pay attention in class the way some U of A grads did. Shout out to Scott Stuber, head of Netflix right now. Stuber went to U of A as well. We could have gone down the same path. I was in a lot of those same classes, but I already knew I wanted to be an artist on the other side, and he was headed down a business path. Stuber's doing great. He and I sold a show to HBO together, and all love to Scott Stuber. I'll be in your office soon selling you something else, whether you know it or not. Anyway, so I'm in Chicago. I got no skills. I got no job. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm living with my girlfriend at the time on Oak Street in downtown Chicago in a tiny one-bedroom apartment, and I realized, I'm like, you know what I can do? I know how to box. I know how to train boxing. I could train people. I know all the moves. My trainer in college trained some Olympic fighters, Tony Ayala Sr., whose son was a week away from a world championship when he got arrested and thrown in prison for 20 years, he knew. You know, he taught me a lot, he trained me a lot, he wanted to move me to Texas to become a heavyweight and really take me on as a fighter, I wasn't going to do it, I didn't like getting punched in the face, but I got a lot of great skills and I kind of, you know, I won my first amateur fight. And after that, I just, I couldn't, I wanted to keep going in the amateurs, but it was too hard to find tournaments around Tucson, Arizona, and split time between going to school and boxing. I just couldn't pull it off. So I just sparred, you know, thousands. I probably sparred a thousand rounds, you know, to the point where I was, you know, I was sparring like four different dudes a day at U of A. And then I'd go down to South Tucson and box at the Kronk Boxing West, and I would spar guys down there and, I, you know, I sparred a couple pros, I got in the ring with James, lights out Tony, who was middleweight champion of the world, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> James punched me in the face so hard, I always say, I've talked about this on stage before, but James, Tony hit me so hard in my mouth that I tasted blood, but there was no blood, so all I could think of is that blood is coming from my head and it's just trickling into my mouth, but it's just so deep on the inside of my body, that doesn't need to be seen, it's just in me. So my brain was bleeding. But James whooped me for three rounds. I wanted to quit the second round, but I just, my pride wouldn't let me quit, but I kept looking over at the trainer like, hey man, anytime you wanna stop this world champion from beating up a Jewish University of Arizona graduate, feel free to step in and stop it, because I don't think that this sparring session is doing any of us any good. And they wanted me to spar James because I was built like a guy named Murky Sosa. Murky Sosa was a pro that James was about to fight. I just happened to have the similar body type. That's it. There's nothing else about me that rings, you know, reminiscent of Murky Sosa. Murky Sosa had, you know, 50, 60 pro fights. He's been fighting since he's seven. And he's a pro and a world-class pro. I was not a world-class anything so anyway I'm in Chicago I decided I tell my girl you know what I'm gonna go to that that health club down the street that everybody loves it's like the nicest health club in the country all these wealthy dudes are working out there these guys that work at the mercantile exchange or uh, whatever it's called like the the wall street of Chicago all the rich people in Chicago worked out at the East Bank Club So I go into the East Bank Club and I'm like, hey, you know, how you guys doing? Nice to meet you. Anybody ever think about teaching boxing here? They're like, no, but that's a great idea. People are starting to work out with boxing and we have a heavy bag and, you know, maybe we'll give it a shot. Would $45 an hour be cool with you? They're talking to a broke college kid with no job. Would $45 an hour be good for me in 1993 or whatever year it was? yeah I think I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with that right now. That's more That's three times the money you get at the comedy store on a Saturday night when it's packed, and Joe Rogan sells the place out. I'm fine with forty five dollars an hour. So I start teaching boxing at the, at the East Bank Club in Chicago, and it's going great.'m I'm, I'm, I'm training you know eight people a day. I'm making three hundred dollars, 350 a day. Every day, I'm working five days a week, I'm getting clients, I'm training, you know, older, rich women, I'm training old, you know, older, Wall Street type, bald dudes who just love to fight because they're angry at the life they chose. I'm training cool, you know, cool, trust fund kids who just want to feel tough and they want to mix it up and get in there. I'm 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 having a blast. I'm loving it. I'm like the popular dude now at the East Bank Club in Chicago, Illinois, the hottest club in the country. I will put that, I will put that I will put the East Bank Club up against any health club in the nation. Period. It was Equinox before there ever was an Equinox times five. There's a cafeteria. There's, you know, the the exercise area is incredibly big. Every piece of equipment is top-notch. TV's everywhere. The food's incredible. Old-school Chicago gangsters belong there. And this is kind of where the path with Donny Osmond gets a little funny and cloudy. So... So I'm teaching boxing. I'm starting to get a little bit known over there. At the same time, I got some connections from my Detroit people in the boxing world that are letting me go down and train at Southside, Windy City Boxing on the south side of Chicago. At the time, heavyweight champion Andrew Galato was training out of there. They had a couple Italian kids, a couple Polish kids that were great fighters that were fighting out of there. And I got introduced to this guy, Bobby Hitz. Bobby Hits fought George Foreman, George Foreman knocked out Bobby Hits in I think like maybe two rounds. But the fact that you still fought George Foreman in the streets, you're a legendary type of guy, and people do not mess with you. Nobody fs with you when you have fought George Foreman in a heavyweight bout, even if you got knocked out in the second round. That just lets you know that there's a lot of tough guys in the world, you know, but there's only a few George Foremans. You know, so you don't... Guys like George Foreman don't become street fighters and guys that, you know, collectors for organized crime situations. Guys like George Foreman have a gift from God and they make millions of dollars because they're the toughest people on the planet. All right? And the guys he's knocked out along the way who you've never heard of, they're the toughest guys everywhere else in the world. So... My point is, Bobby was a badass dude. He's a sweet dude. We still keep in touch to this day. But this is the story of of me training Donnie Osmond. So one day, I mean, I'm in my office, which is an office that I split with three other people, and I'm 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 making my schedule, and I hear over my shoulder, "Could you please put me in touch with Mike Young?" And I look over my shoulder, and it's Donnie Osmond, Donnie Osmond of the famed Osmond family. Donny Osmond of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Donny Osmond of the Christmas specials for 30 years, Donny Osmond of Donnie and Marie, Donnie Osmond of, of every holiday you've ever had with your family sitting in front of a television as a young kid, if you're my age, you know who Donnie Osmond is. So I turn around, Donny's on the phone looking for me, and I say, hey, I'm Mike Young, Hey, man, nice to meet you, Donnie Osmond. How are you? I heard you're the trainer here. I heard you're great. Listen, I've accepted a fight in a celebrity match to fight Danny Bonaducci, and I need to be trained. So I'm thinking... A, this is hilarious, B, Donnie's got like a really big head but a little body, so immediately I'm just sizing him up, I'm like, you know, we could work with this guy, he could probably take a little bit of a punch, I'm sure he's disciplined from all the years of dance training and singing, you gotta have discipline to be a high level artist, you know, his wind is probably strong because he's starring in Joseph and the Technical Dream Coat, and you can't have bad wind, you know, if you're in a play. So I agree. I say, Donnie, absolutely, 100%, I'll train you. I look forward to training you. He's like, great, I'll set it all up. You'll get paid your regular fee, and you're my guy. So immediately, within maybe a week, we set up a schedule for three times a week. I'm going to train Donnie Osmond. So I start training Donnie. You know, one of the first times I train him, uh, he had never really jumped rope you know, in a relaxed way for boxing. So I just wanted to see what he looked like jumping rope. So basically his jump rope style was kind of like a really excitable 16-year-old girl who's got really strong legs. And that's just what he looked like. You know what I mean? Like he he could go for a long time. Donnie had great wind. But I knew I, knew I could like settle him down, work his footwork, and kind of get him moving. So I start training Donnie Osman. We put on the gloves. We start throwing punches. And Donnie's athletic. He's he's like surprisingly tough, gritty, doesn't quit, and he's kind of got some athleticism to him. So I'm like, you know what? I, th- I think we're gonna do okay against this Bonaducci guy. Cause Danny Bonaducci at the time was a big time radio DJ and a crazy trash talker in Chicago. And he used to talk just so much trash that he just made enemies everywhere. And somehow, he started talking smack about Donny Osmond on the air. And he talked about Donny. He talked about Donny and Marie. You don't talk about Marie, bro. Yo, Bonaducci, you don't talk about Marie. You don't talk about somebody's sister. Not from a family like that, that loves each other, that toured together, that rivaled the Jackson 5 for record sales. That's like talking about Janet Jackson, bro. You get your ass whooped by all the Jacksons and the whole neighborhood they came from. So Donnie's like, I want to whoop this dude. He's talking crazy. I agreed to fight him for charity, but I'm taking it dead serious. So we start training, and Donnie's like quickly picking up boxing. He is like quickly getting the hang of it. He's throwing jabs. He's throwing right hands. I got him throwing hooks. And I'm just I got him moving properly. I got him moving around the ring. I put on the headgear. I let him just kind of like go at me. I didn't I never punched, him. you know, he was like, listen, you just you know, I'm in a play. You can't hurt my face. Just don't hurt my face, please. Don't hit me in the face. So I never ever hit him in the face. I didn't even hit him in the body. I basically just let Donny Osman attack me and then just move around to feel what boxing was really like so we you know donnie's got his jab looking good he's keeping his chin down he's within two months maybe six weeks less than two months donnie osmond can kind of box and he's loving it and i'm loving that he's getting better and i'm shocked and i'm telling people you're not gonna believe this i don't know i've never even seen bonaduce box I know he talks tough. I know he's, a, you know, redheads has got a little more anger than most people for some reason. It's something in the chemical of red. But I just have a feeling that Donnie could beat, could beat this dude. And so I, I decided to take Donnie Osmond to the next level. And I call my boy Bobby Hitz, and I say, Bobby, I'm bringing Donnie Osmond down to Windy City Boxing. I want to put him in the ring. You gotta please set me up with an amateur or a young pro who can control himself enough to not punch Donnie Osmond in the face. You cannot punch Donnie Osmond in the face. Please, if you guarantee me that, it'll be good publicity for your gym. We'll have fun with it, and just 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 get me a guy who's his size who can move around. No problem, Mike. Not a problem at all. We go down to the gym. There's some real characters down there, just like there always are in boxing. You know, listen, boxing's always been a sport surrounded by, you always got, you got gangsters, you got lawyers, you got old Jewish men who just want to be around the hype. Boxing's a beautiful sport when it comes to characters. It's why every great author has written a story about boxing. So I take Donnie down, to I take Danny down to the Windy City boxing gym and we get down there and there's Andrew Galata, the dude who ended up fighting Riddick Bowen and getting disqualified for hitting him low blow three times and ended up getting beat up you know with a walkie-talkie by Riddick Bowen security guy and what I realized about Andrew Galata was and he I'd say he was a nice guy, but to be honest, he didn't like boxing. He seemed like he hated being there. He hated fighting. He just happened to be a freak of nature with a God-given gift of fighting. And so it's always a tough thing when you're making a living doing something that you're great at that you don't love. That's, a, that's very interesting dy- dynamic. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes you'll see it in athletes. You'll see it in people. You know, you'll see it in performers. You'll see it everywhere, you know. Uh, Ricky Williams looked like he hated football, but was so damn great. He just stuck around, but he did everything he could to get out of football. So there's always people like that. But Galata always struck me as that type of guy. He was never happy. He was being controlled by these guys down there in Chicago who were, you know, I don't know what their job was, but let's just say they kind of controlled him. And, uh I think roger blood i want i don 't want to get his name wrong, but it might be Roger Bloodworth or something like that, but Roger ended up training a bunch of champions, but at the time Roger, I believe, was the trainer for Galata, and the other guys around Galata were like the chicago you know i, I don 't know if they were involved in the syndicate i don 't know what they were years later, you know forty members of the Chicago organized crime family went down and went to prison, and it was over but these were the type of people that were down there. So I loved it. I was totally comfortable down there. I was just there to get Donnie Osmond in fighting shape so he could whoop Danny Bonaducci. So now the fight's set for maybe two months from the time I start to get Donny down there. The fight is set to go down at this, uh, like a hall, like a, like a theater, like a, like a theater that holds like 3,000 people. And it's going down. So I'm like... Now people from the radio are starting to call me as Donnie Osmond's trainer, and they're interviewing me. How's Donnie looking? You think he could really beat Bonaducci? And I'm talking like I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to tell any secrets of Donnie's, you know, technical savvy. I didn't want to tell people how great Donnie was looking, how how great his wind was. But Donnie was starting to get in real shape. So we're down there the first time at, at Windy City Boxing. I get Donnie in the ring with a young dude who's a pro. I tell the kid, yo, don't punch him in the face. Move around. Let him feel it out. Throw some jabs at him. Don't touch him. Work his body a little bit if you want, but just let him see what it feels like to have another body on him while moving. You know? Just just get him up against the ropes. Let him throw the punches and dictate how this fight is going to go. Well... They start going at it. Donnie's throwing real punches at this dude, and they're not heavy punches. They are not affecting him at all. They're not hurting him at all. But the kid did snap one jab and caught, caught Donnie in the chin, and Donnie went down. But he didn't need to go down. He just went down on reaction, fear, and the fact that Donnie Osmond, for the first 35, 40 years of his life, had never been hit in the face. So he didn't know what happened. And when he went down, he threw his hands up in the air and he kind of twisted and spun around almost like a dreidel and then just went down. And at the same time, he yelled out, ow, my face. So it happened so dramatically and so comically that I had to turn around because I was laughing just out of nervous laughter. I just started laughing. I was just nervous and I didn't know how to react. So I turned around because I couldn't. You know, I i haven't had one of these fits in a long time, but I was somebody that would have nervous laughter. And, you know, I remember being at my aunt's funeral, like in the second row of the funeral, and something hit me, and I was like on the verge of crying or laughing, and I went to laughing. And I couldn't stop laughing at my aunt's funeral. And, you know, this is my aunt, who was my favorite aunt, who I love to death, but I couldn't stop laughing out of nervous laughter. And it's happened to me a couple times. But it's usually in a quiet place where you're absolutely 100% not supposed to laugh. And I laugh. And it's, I'm not proud of that. But that's what happened. So I start laughing. Donnie's on the ground. Bobby hits is there. He's got like a big silk robe on with the name of one of the Italian restaurants in Chicago on his back. He goes in the ring. He looks at me. He's, he's got much more discipline than I do. He's able to not laugh. But he goes and he helps Donnie up. I calm myself down. We get Donnie up and you know we get him, we get him back in the corner, and you know, good job, Donnie. It's okay, you're gonna be fine. That's what it is to get punched in the face. You're good. Bonaducci's gonna be he's not half, he can't move half as fast as this guy. He's not half as strong. This is never gonna happen in the Bonaducci fight. Don't even worry about it. Just saying the Bonaducci fight sounds ridiculous. But anyway, we get Donnie back in order. We get him to the showers. Donnie, go take a shower. Clean yourself up. We're going to go home. You know, great day at the gym. He took pictures with everybody at Windy City Boxing, signed some autographs. Even kids in the hood that had no idea who he was got his autograph just because they saw other people getting his autograph. Donnie was inviting everybody to go see Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. It was a great day. It was a beautiful day. So we get into the town car. We get into the town car that Donnie's rented. And we get in the back of the town car and we talk about how great it went and the driver puts the radio on. And he puts on the radio and it's on one of these local, you know, stations, uh, you know, like rock and roll stations. And Bonaducci is the DJ. He's the famous DJ. He's the number one DJ in Chicago at the time. Or number two, whatever. I don't want to get a call from a DJ who's like, I was number one. I don't know. All I know is we put the radio on and, and Bobby hits is on the radio we're not 20 minutes away from the place yet he's already on the radio and he's telling the DJ how he's training Donnie Osmond for the Danny Bonaducci fight now I'm not thinking clearly I'm just upset because my ego's hurt because I'm training Donnie Osmond all right now listen if you're if you're having a fight over who's training Donnie Osmond something might be wrong with your life anyway like, where's my, how insecure am I that I got to get into a fight with a guy because we're battling over who's training Donny Osmond? But the fact is the fact, and I'm Donny Osmond's trainer, and that's it. So I call, I hear, I hear, I hear Bobby on the radio, I'm training Donny, it's going to be a great fight, he's looking good, he's in shape, the fight is set, and so I call Bobby when I get back to my place because I'm super upset. I'm super upset that I'm getting my credit for training Donnie Osmond. My credit's getting taken away. Meanwhile, I've been training him for months. I call Bobby. I'm like, what's going on, man? How could you do this to me? Why would you do that? I'm his trainer. Why are you going on the radio trying to get publicity for yourself? And just as calm as he could, this ex-heavyweight fighter who fought George Foreman and you know was a pro for many, many years and a notorious, notorious Chicago tough guy says to me, I've broken people's legs for less than how you just talked to me. I've thrown people that were already in wheelchairs down steps of federal courthouses for less than what you just said to me. So you're going to apologize, or the next time I see you, I'm going to slap your head off your shoulders. And the way he said it so calmly, I just said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm super sorry. I'm really, really sorry, Bobby. You got me upset. I didn't know how to react, <clears throat> you took my credit away, are we good, are we cool, do I have to, <clears throat> do I have to worry about the next time I see you, there's going to be a problem, please, I'm a skinny Jew, I just happen to be really good with my hands, that's why I'm even involved in boxing, he never respected me as a boxer anyway, why should he, he fought pro, he fought George Foreman, I went to University of Arizona and I can skip rope like a professional there's nothing in me that deserves to be called a professional fighter and there's nothing about me that deserves respect from a pro fighter on any level because that's another side note but like you come to LA and there's like all these actors that want to box you always hear about them and then like you look at them in the gym and if you know boxing you can look within 5 minutes and you can tell if a guy knows how to box or not if a guy's a real pro and has had real experience or not you can literally tell in five minutes. And in LA, excuse me, in LA, basically nobody knows how to box unless they truly were, you know, had an amateur career or fought and then fought pro. Boxing is a very serious game and repetition is the power, is the the king of learning. And you can tell who's boxed you know, for years and who hasn't but you come out to LA and everybody knows how to box well I've been in the ring in LA I've sparred a bunch of dudes in LA I've dropped quite a few people in LA and I'm not a professional boxer but I've, I've boxed a lot so anyway Bobby and I we crush our beef We squashed the beef. There's no beef between me and the biggest heavyweight dude I've ever met really in person and become friends with who's now not going to beat me up, thank God. I did have to call on him later in life because I had a problem in Chicago. That's a different story for a different podcast, for the Who the F is Mike Young podcast, because the Who the F is Mike Young podcast is really trying to figure out who the F is Mike Young. And if you're listening, who the F are you? And that's all life really is, is just trying to figure out who the hell are we? What are we doing here? So I don't want to get too esoteric, but back to the story at hand. So I'm back with Donnie. He's healing up from the very light tap that he took on the chin. He's doing great. We're back at it the next week. The fight's coming up in a week. And then I get a call from Danny Bonaducci. Now, I don't know Danny Bonaducci at this time. I don't know him at all. I'm not thinking about Danny Bonaducci. I'm not. All I'm thinking about is I've seen pictures of him. I know he's a he was a kid on the Partridge family. So he was the little redheaded son on the Partridge family. He was super cute. He was super funny. He was but then you started hearing stories about him in like, you know, in the tabloids or whatever that he was he had like a tough guy streak, he had a violent streak, he'd been in fights, he had a drug problem, he was looking like he was on steroids. So I was like a little bit nervous, but Donnie was like, you know, my guy was eating fruits and vegetables and staying lean and mean. And I knew, I knew that if you were calm, me, you know, lean, and you know, light on your feet, and you, know, you had your wind behind you, that anger and steroids were not going to beat you as a boxer. So I get a call from Bonaduce at the East Bank Club. Mike, how you doing? Danny Bonaducci here. Listen, bro, I got to talk to you. And I'm not kidding at all is there any chance in the world that Donny Osmond is going to beat me? Because you understand that I'm a DJ here, and there's no chance that I can go into this fight. And with I cannot have Donny Osmond beat me in a fight. That's it. I need to know how he looks, what's going to happen, and if I have to pay you money, I'll pay you money to make sure he does not beat me. So I'm like, I don't give him any information. Danny, don't worry. It's going to be great. You guys are going to have fun. You're going to raise money for charity. I'm not going to tell you how Donnie's looking, I'm not going to tell you anything, I'm just going to tell you that if I was you, I would definitely take it seriously, because we're over here taking it seriously, and I'm not going to accept any money from you to to throw a celebrity bout, a celebrity boxing match, so good luck to you, bro, I look forward to meeting you, but I'm definitely not going to see you before the fight, and no thank you on on the bribery. So Danny Bonaduce was ready to fully bribe me to make sure that Donny Osmond did not beat him. But it wasn't going to happen. So fast forward two weeks, the radio's blowing up, TV commercials are coming out for the celebrity bout. It's going down. So... Me and I meet Donnie early that the day we let's go all the way up to the fight. By the way, people are talking about it at the East Bank Club. Everybody at East Bank's coming to the fight. They've all been seeing Donnie. A few of them saw Donnie and Joseph in the Technicolor Dream Coat, you know, flying across over over the crowd. You know what I mean? Suspended in air by a pulley dropping down on the stage, doing a whole play about what, I have no idea. I saw the play twice with Donnie. I still can't tell you what Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat's about. I think it takes place in the fantasy world. All I know is when I went there and I took my mom to the play, Donnie flew over our heads and he kind of did a shadow box move and pointed to me. It was a highlight of my Chicago life. So the day of the fight comes and you know, I'm nervous and Donnie's nervous, but we we're, we're we're feeling good. We're staying loose, we're keeping it light, we're laughing. We get to the bout, we get to the venue. <clears throat> Bobby hits and all the guys from Windy City, South Side Chicago are there. Old school Italians, and I'm noticing that we don't have like our corner really organized, but Bobby does. He is fully prepared for everything in our corner. So Bobby and three other dudes, they're all wearing a silk cornerman robe with the name of an Italian restaurant on the back. Basically, they're using this entire huge promotion to promote their Italian restaurant, which, by the way, I can't remember the name of it. But I've been there. And just by thinking about it, it makes me happy. It was the best Italian food I've probably ever had in my life. The pasta, they would give you pasta, they bring out your plate, then they bring out the pan that it was cooked in with all the rest of the pasta. So you got like a pan sitting next to you and you know, it it's why everybody's thick in Chicago. It's just simply that. You can't avoid it. You can't say no to it. It's that good. You got to have it. So, the they're 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 wearing They're advertising billboards, and they're all huge. I don't know the other two guys. Bobby's already 260 pounds because he's blew up after being an in-shape heavyweight. He's 6'3", 6'4", 260. His boys are the same size. They're all wearing these robes. I'm the only one in the corner without a robe. Meanwhile, I'm the main trainer. I got no robe. I'd like to have a robe. Of course, I don't say anything to Bobby because I don't want to get in trouble again with another threat about getting thrown down the stairs of a federal courthouse. So, here comes Bonaducci in a tank top, looking like he's been pressing steroids and eating vitamin B12, you know, for about a month or so. He looks juiced up, ready to go. He's already a little bit tired because he doesn't have good wind. He's a cigarette smoker, and... You know the the announcers do their announcing, and the crowd. We got about two three thousand people watching this celebrity bout, and you got Bonaducci's guys. His crowd is like Andrew Dice Clay people in the eighties. You know, animals yelling, screaming, kill Donnie Osmond, get him, eat him, bury him. You know, they're like just a bunch of rock and roll meatheads going crazy for Danny Bonaducci because he's the rock DJ. There's not a lot of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat fans there. You know what I mean? We didn't have a lot of ballet dancers. There weren't a lot of theater geeks. Even though Chicago's known for their improv and their second city, not a lot of actors showed up for Donny Osmond's Corner. So everything was going against us. We get we get there. We're up. We're in the ring. I'm talking to Donnie. You know what I mean. When you start out, just feel him out. Just work your jab. Go jab, jab, jab. Then get that. You know, sneak in that right hand. He's got short arms. You got better reach. You know, you got better wind. Just stay focused. Now we go to work. Round one comes, and Donnie is tagging him. And we're, we're we couldn't be happier. Our corners thrilled. Donnie Osmond is whooping Danny Bonaducci in round one. And he's just tagging him, moving, slick. Don- Bonaducci's frustrated. You could see him getting angry. But he did land, Bonaducci landed one right hand hook, and it knocked Donnie's headgear off. So the crowd went crazy. And the judges must have given that first round to Danny Bonaducci because they just must have, because in the end, and I'll tell you real quick, I'll just, I'll just speed it up right to the end. The bottom line was Donnie Osmond put a little game of tag on the face and body of Danny Bonaducci, but Bonaducci landed the heavier blows, way less blows, way less blows. And in my opinion, Donnie Osmond whooped Danny Bonaducci that day. And he knew it, and I knew it, everybody knew it. But at the end of the day, the judges, it was a fix. The fix was in from the radio station, and they gave the fight to Danny Bonaducci. But even Danny, Danny Bonaducci wasn't happy because after the fight, he came up to me, and he's like, I lost that. I said, I know you lost it, bro, but go on the radio and do what you got to do, but you know in your heart you lost to Donnie Osmond and the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat cast. You lost. So it was a great day, even though we took an L, We took a loss that day. It hurt a lot of us, but the bottom line was we had a great experience, and it was one of my favorite boxing slash entertainment life experiences, and I I tell the story because a lot of people, when I say that I love boxing, I'm I'm way into boxing, some people look at me skeptical, and they're like, you don't look at all like a boxer. You don't look at all like you have any involvement in boxing. You don't sound like you... You don't even sound like you're telling the truth when you say that your dad was friends with Emanuel Stewart and that your brother was great friends with Emanuel Stewart and your brother was there bedside when Emanuel Stewart passed away the day he died. And you just, it just doesn't sound like a true story. And this has been my life my whole life because my dad had celebrity friends. Even though we were from Detroit, he had friends that were professional athletes. And Al Kaline, the legendary Hall of Fame baseball player, we called Uncle Al. So we have been around it, but in a Detroit kind of way. So I have to tell these stories because it helps unravel my brain and lets me know that I'm not lying about all the stories that you will be hearing on the Who the F is Mike Young podcast. So let it be known, I trained Donnie Osmond. We had a great time. We became friends for a long time. I haven't seen him in a long time. I know he's still doing well. I see Donnie's picture in Vegas. If I called him right now and said, it's your old boxing trainer, I 100% he would remember and I would get tickets for life to Donnie and Marie. Me and my girlfriend in Chicago, we didn't work out. We just didn't work out. I wanted to be a comedian and a writer and move to LA. She wanted to be in Chicago around her family. And of course, her parents set me up after boxing, they set me up with a a meeting at a company, a trucking company, that if I would've, (laughs) that was the early stages of a trucking company, and if I would've stayed in Chicago, I'd have $13 million in the bank and I would not be pacing around my one bedroom apartment telling you a story about boxing Donnie Osmond. But we all make choices. And I love the life I'm living and I'm loving it and I'm digging it. So, this is Mike Young. Who the F is Mike Young? I hope you enjoyed that story. Check out the podcast. Follow me at The Real Mike Young. Who the F is Mike Young is available on iTunes, Apple, Stitcher, all things comedy. And my sponsor is Blue Team. You can listen to the podcast in the beginning. Again, if you want to know who Blue Team is. It's an amazing restoration company handling fires, floods, damages, content, anything in commercial property. When a catastrophe hits, it's no joke. So you call Blue Team, and you can find their number at the front of the podcast. So everybody have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time on Who the F is Mike Young? Who the F are you? Take me back. When I was a kid, never had to worry Take about what back, I did But I'm a man now, the what's the it now? Gotta get it down, no more time for fun now Take me back,
1: when I was a kid
0: Never had to worry about what I did But I'm a man now, what's now?